And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. This is the Essential Bible Studies Podcast. My name is Tim Young. My name is Frank Abel. We'd like to welcome you back to part two of our study on what it means to be created in the image and likeness of God, taken from Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Now, in the last episode, we established some base work, some thinking about what this means to be in the image and likeness of God, in difference to the beasts of the earth who are created after their kind. And we began seeing that this image and likeness might have something to do with form, actually bodily form, but more importantly, I think, as we go through the scriptures, it starts emphasizing more the quality or character of God, about being in that image, that mental capacity to think like him, to morally reason through things, and to do that which is good. So we saw that God didn't want man creating images at all. He wanted them to think about God as having no form, only hearing the voice of his words. And that kind of emphasized this aspect about the importance of these intangible things about being in the image of God, you know, showing forth love in our lives and showing forth mercy and truth after the, the very qualities of God himself. And so we started looking also into this aspect that being in the image and likeness of God is actually a, a future hope. There's three passages that we looked at about we shall be like him in the future. When Jesus Christ comes back, it says that our humble bodies will be transformed to be like his glorious body. This word like or likeness comes up quite a bit, and the word image. So those are our key words as we look at these different kind of passages. And we ended up by thinking, well, you know, all of this is keyed off of the Lord Jesus Christ, who the scriptures say is in the image of God himself. Now, when we think about these passages, this has to relate back to Genesis 1 verse 26, I think. And so we have a couple passages here that we want to talk about in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ, because it it involves us as well, because uh, the whole purpose of God is that we might believe in his Son, that when he does come back, we shall be like him. So we're in a process now of becoming like Jesus to be formed in his likeness. Yeah. So the first passage is Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. This is an extremely interesting passage, and when we read it, it's interesting because Paul puts it in terminology of a creation, of the creation, and some people read it that way. They read back that Paul is talking about here about Genesis chapter 1, but I don't think he is. I think as you get into the details, you see that he's talking here about a different creation. You're like, a different creation? What do you mean by that? The Bible talks about a new creation in Christ Jesus, that he's created something new in us, spiritual believers. And this comes out in this passage here. Let me just read it to you. As he's talking about the salvation that comes through his son, it says in verse 15, he, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So there's that word image again. And you know, before we get into the Colossians passage, I guess in a little bit more detail, it says he is the image of 
the invisible God. Right, Frank? Yes, certainly. Yeah. The invisible God, which is a reflection time and again of the idea that God told the people of Israel, do you remember we came and he appeared to them in the cloud on the top of Mount Sinai. You saw no similitude. Yeah, no form. Right. And here it is an echo thousands of years later. Right. Because why would Paul yeah. say the invisible God? Why would he emphasize that point? Because it's things that you don't see. That's how he's the image of God. It's in the things that you don't see. It's Again, it's about these qualities of God's mercy and truth, about his grace, his long-suffering. Everything that God is, is the Lord Jesus Christ. So everything that you saw Jesus do, and say was exactly what God would do and say. So when you looked at Jesus in his life, you were looking at exactly what God would do. That's how he's in the image of God, the invisible God, right? Yes. And that's our calling too, right? So to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ and to try to be in the image and likeness of God in that sense. So go ahead, Frank. Well, it's a little puzzling, I guess, for some to this whole idea of firstborn. But, you know, if you look at mm. the context there, just going down a couple of verses in verse 18, for instance, yeah. it describes Jesus as the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Right. Now, you see, this is the thing you have to remember if you're trying to understand that verse as well, because you would sort of wonder, well, you know, what does he mean by the firstborn of every creature? Well, he's talking about a creation that is occurring through the resurrection from the dead, having lived appropriately to be raised and given honor, that is, to be made immortal like the angels. So it's a mm. the Bible is very much the answer and the, and the explanation of itself if you just continue to read. Yes, I think that's the point I was bringing up. Like yeah. you said in verse 15, it says the firstborn of all creation. That is parallel with the firstborn from the dead, yes. that in everything you might be preeminent. Yeah. And so when you read through the things that are created in this passage in verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He's not talking about the Genesis 1 creation there. He's not talking about land and seas and trees and animals and those kind of things. He's talking about thrones and dominions and powers. He's talking about a kingdom that was being established at the resurrection of Jesus as the king that would sit at the right hand of God until his enemies be made his footstool. So it's a passage that you don't want to misunderstand in that way. It's not talking about Genesis 1, but about this new creation in Christ Jesus but the illusions are there back to Genesis. Yeah. There's a yeah. reason why we kind of think about it that way because Paul is drawing analogies to Genesis 1, yes. and especially this analogy of being made in the image and likeness of God and Jesus Christ being this kind of perfect man, this second Adam, is really, truly the image of the invisible God, what yes. God intended from the yes. beginning. The illusions there just keep on occurring because— when we go to other passages, we find that it's filled out further and further. And that is one of the things that builds our confidence in the scriptures is that almost every major principle is repeated over and over again. So that your idea that go back to Genesis, well, what do we see in Genesis? We see God speaking and it was done. So when we see a new creation, we might guess that it's not just God saying it and there it is. But it is like it in the sense that 
people who believe what God says become the ones who will be made into his image. Now, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, we see a little further insight into this. I'm reading from the King James. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Well, obviously, he's talking about the Lord. Mm -hmm. The brightness of God's glory, but the express image of his person. Now, I sort of wondered, as I think a lot of Bible students would have wondered when they read this in the King James the first time, why does he say express image? Like it almost seems like there's an image and there's an express image. Yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> and that uh, quite often is a secret. You follow up things like that and you get rewarded very well when you look at it. Well, it comes to us in the Greek as a word that is, I think, only used one time in the scriptures. And the immediate thing that impressed me was the fact that you're looking at the Strong's Concordance. You see the Greek word before you see its definition. But when you see the Greek word, it's the word character. Now, I don't know if it's pronounced exactly that way in Greek, but right. it, you look at it, you can't mistake it. Yeah. it. The English idea of character, yeah, which really is, goes on with the explanation of what it means. Yeah. Now, that that is amazing because you see it here then, who being the brightness of his glory, well, go to the Mount of Transfiguration and see the Lord transfigured at the time of his kingdom with the brightness of the glory of God himself and the express image of his person. But the image of his person is the character of his person. Yeah. Now, that opens up the whole scriptures when you start to see that because that gives you an insight into looking in other places, which may not be the same word occurring somewhere else, but it's the idea that the Bible brings out here. It's a wonderful idea. Yeah. You know, when I was... Comparing that verse to other translations, I found the New Living Translation, which is actually a paraphrase. I don't use it that much, but I just like to go there and see how they, they do things. I thought it was, it was a really good translation. I'll read it to you. It says, the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. So the King James says the express image of God, but yeah. they say it expresses the very character of God. So they actually yeah. bring out the Greek word character. Yes. They bring yeah. it out in yeah. their yeah. translation, which I thought was really cool because I think that, like you said, that's the idea. It's about yeah. the character of God being shown forth in the, the life of Jesus. And it's a little bit tricky because you look at other versions and they go down a different route. Like the ESV here says he was the exact imprint of his nature. Well, if you look in the original Greek, it's about character. It's yeah. not about nature. It's not about the substance of like who he was in body, right? Yeah. And uh, that's a Trinitarian idea, yeah. which you, you really can't find in the Bible. Yeah. And some Trinitarians use this verse, but when you look at the original Greek and how it's translated in other places, and as we're seeing in our study, that this is really kind of harking back to Genesis one twenty six and how Jesus Christ was or did become the full image and likeness of God throughout his life. He expressed everything that was God in his character, not in his body. Yeah. He was a man, right, like you and I. But he overcame, and he overcame sin. So that's really the importance of this passage. 
How did he overcome? He was both the radiance of the glory of God and the image of God, the character of God. That's a very important point also from the point of view of how quickly it happens. Like we don't acquire the uh, character of God by the action of rebirth. It's not through the waters of baptism that we immediately develop the character of God. It's through a life of our service to God Mm -hmm. that we develop that. And one of the good examples of it is King David, who went through many, many troubles, many ups and downs, many times where he didn't see it clear enough to know exactly what God wanted him to do, or if he did, he failed in it. Yet he was a man after God's own heart. So you can see how long it took him to actually manifest this image, this character of God. So one of the things I think everyone needs to know is that this is not something you receive in a night. Yeah. It's not something you receive in a moment. Yeah. You, you say something to God. It's God working with you to develop that character. Yeah. Even with the Lord Jesus Christ, because in Hebrews it says he learned obedience by yes. the things which yes. he suffered. Right? Yes. He was made perfect, it says in Hebrews. So yeah. that was a process for yeah. him as well. Not He did know sin. He was perfect in that way. But yeah. uh, and there, there was a development process here. Yeah. We made in that image. And I think when you read Hebrews 1 verse 3, you have to – he's hearkening back to Genesis 1 verse 26 again. There's actually two aspects. He radiates the glory of God, and he's made in the image of God. So there's image and glory. And I felt a little bit more confident about this being – from Genesis 1, verse 26, because of how Paul does the same thing. He mentions image and glory. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and verse 7, and when he does it, he's actually quoting directly from the Genesis record. And so if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and verse 7, it says there, "...for a man ought not to cover his head." since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Now, not going into the context here, which is quite a bit, but you can see here that he is quoting Genesis 1 verse 26 to prove his point, but he says, man is in the image and glory of God. He doesn't say the image and likeness of God. Yet, If you go in the exact Greek there, he's actually using the word for glory there, And so he associates that word likeness with the aspect of glory. So that goes back to Hebrews 1 verse 3, uses image and and glory. Paul does the same thing. He saw image and glory as being the same thing as image and likeness. They all go back to Genesis 1 verse 26. And then here we go down another road, Frank, (laughs) because then you're thinking, what does glory have to do with likeness? Well, one of the things that's helped me in this is to look at the event that happened when Moses went up to the mount to receive the tables of stone from God. And it says in verse 29 of Exodus 34, reading from the King James, that Moses didn't know the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. Mm. Like this is happening when he was talking with the angel. And so... When he came down to deal with the people, after going through the events that were not very well accepted, uh, Moses wist not that his face shone, and when the people saw him, they were afraid to come unto him, like they could whatever happened to this man? Well, he just happened to be in the 
company of an angel. Yeah. And in the company of an angel, I don't know whether it was a full 40 days, 40 nights, but it was a substantial part of that, we would assume, and that his face shone. So if Jesus' face shone at the Mount of Transfiguration, yeah. when he was transfigured, looking at the time when he would be immortalized, then we see this likeness of God showing up in the face of a man who is in character like God. Yeah. So doesn't Paul talk about Moses' face shining or something like that? Yes, he does. He also takes the point up. I haven't got that passage ready, but he does take that up as an indication that Moses' face gradually ceased to shine. And that's because it represented the law that he was bringing to the people at that time. A very significant thing people had to catch on to that was that the law was dwindling in its importance. So it wasn't something that was going to continue. But the aspect of shining in the face of Jesus Christ was something that would continue on in the immortal state, we would assume, forever. Uh, I found the passage. It's Second Corinthians chapter 3. Maybe we can look at that. So that the whole context of Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3 is about this whole incident that you were talking about. And when it gets down to it, he uses this kind of veil on the face of Moses that Israel couldn't see as yeah. representing the law, that the Jews couldn't yeah. see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ because that veil, the law, was blinding their eyes to it. But when we believe, when we see the truth of Jesus Christ fulfilling the law and the prophets, that veil is taken away. Well, it's brought out in that verse 4 of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, when it says, But if the ministration of death, that's the law, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? Mm -hmm. So that's the comparison. He was with the angel. He was receiving God's word. But that law had a, a time limit to it. When the Lord came and gave the, his ministry and written up in the four gospels, explained much in the epistles, we now have a ministration for which people's faces would shine forever. That's the, the likeness that the New Testament gives us and attaches to that new birth, that long period of development of character. I've gone through this chapter and I've highlighted the word glory because it's used quite frequently and it's a good word to highlight. And when it comes down to verse 18, there's a connection here between glory and image because he's contrasting Christ and Moses, like you're saying, the glory that fades, but Christ's glory is the glory that remains for eternity. Paul says in verse 18, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So there's that word image. Yes, that's wonderful. <laughs> it's the image of glory, right? And glory is the, it's not just the aspect of shining forth, like we do see that physical characteristic of Moses. But when God revealed himself to Moses, he revealed his glory by pronouncing his name the Yahweh name that is full of mercy and truth, these qualities of God that were 
introduced to Moses on the Mount Sinai. So that's the real glory of God, right? His qualities, his characteristics, yep. his personality that we talked about last season on the in the Yahweh name. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 to 6, we see another aspect of this, which I think is one of the most beautiful expressions of work of God through his son, Jesus Christ. As if you listen to this, you can see what it has to say for itself. Again, from the King James, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Well, I tell you, (laughs) you (laughs) sort of want to read the whole chapter here because it goes on and it gets better. But surely that verse 6 is just a wonderful expression of what we've been talking about. Yeah. It starts off by, you commanded the light to shine out of darkness. So there you are back in Genesis, right in the very first chapter. He's shined now in our hearts, which is the idea of we've been able to see and understand. And what? Well, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, I couldn't think of a more beautiful way. You think of beauty in art, but I, I think there's beauty in language. Oh, yeah. And to say that so simply and succinctly is to see that the glory of God was in the face of Jesus Christ, not looking into his face to say, well, now we see a picture of him, we can see his face, we know him. No, not at all. But the character of the man yeah. is what's meant. Yeah. That really says yeah. wonderful things. Shining in our subject. hearts, right? Yeah. And you know, in verse 4, it speaks about the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So there's our image and likeness of God, getting back from Genesis, and Paul is alluding through Genesis and giving us echoes throughout all of this, right? So there again is our connection between image and likeness and glory. So it's about Jesus Christ. He's in the image of God because he's shown forth or radiated the glory of God, and that's what he's calling us to do, to be this kind of new creation in Christ Jesus. And the beginning of that process for us is baptism. There's a passage in Colossians chapter 3. It's in verses 9 and 10. Where again, we're, we're looking at all these passages. It mentions the image of God in some way, some illusion. I, there's just a lot here with such substance, right? And it's in Colossians 3 verses 9 and 10 where Paul says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The image of its creator. So that image, Paul is associating with knowledge, right? In the knowledge of the image of its creator. So again, it's not emphasizing anything to do with form, being in some sort of bodily image of God, but being in mind like God. And this renewing, this putting off of the old self or the old man and putting on the new man is baptism. That's what Paul always associates with this kind of new creation or this newness in our life when we let Christ shine in our hearts. 
to be made after his image. So that all ties in with being formed in this image of Christ. And that that starts with baptism, because baptism is our way to be in the image of his son. Well, Tim, it even goes on a little bit further. We could probably spend quite a bit of time ongoing. But if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the point is reinforced there as well. In verse 16, from the King James, it says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Now, be a lot of people would know what it means that our outward man perishes, but there wouldn't be that many people who would know that the inner man is renewed. Mm. Because the inner man can really only be renewed through the substance of the process by which we're being made in the image of God, and that is by reading, understanding, and achieving some change in our life to show that we really are now more godlike. It's a wonderful concept. Yeah, yeah. Well, in Romans 8, verse 29, we see this aspect being raised. It says in the King James, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So again, the idea of being born again, not being form of a man at birth, but the form of a person baptized, that we might be then in the resurrection, as he was the firstborn, we might follow him among many brethren, yes, those who would be like him after they have been granted immortality. So it just outcrops here and there throughout the New Testament, this idea of uh, what God is up to with this new birth and with being formed in the image of his son. So, you know, following in the footsteps of Jesus is what we're called to do. And if we can follow those footsteps, then uh, they lead to something that is worth more than anything else we could conceive of in present life. Yeah, yeah. So being conformed to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. All of these passages, you know, it's taking us back to Genesis 1 verse 26. I just, I read that passage now in such a different light when you see all the other scriptures that refer back to that. And uh, this is one concluding thought. If you go back to Genesis chapter 5, God mentions this again about creating man in his image and likeness. So, We read it in Genesis 1, verse 26, but after the fall of Adam, and after Cain murders Abel, and Adam and Eve have another son named Seth to replace Abel, Genesis 5 goes into this genealogy, but right before it does that, it says this, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. That's curious because what the scriptures is kind of contrasting here is Genesis 1 verse 26, where God says, let us make man in our image and likeness. And when Adam has a son, it says that his son was in his own likeness after his image. So that his descendant was not 
after God's image, it almost seems to be kind of contrasting that, right? But after Adam's image. And you think about all that Adam introduced into the world. He brought sin into the world. And by bringing sin, death came into the world. And so this genealogy that follows is a genealogy basically of death. It says, this man lived and he died. This man lived and he died. So in some aspect in in our life, we are all in the image of Adam. We all follow that same pattern. We all sin. We are all in need of forgiveness. And we can only find that forgiveness by trying to be like another image after the image of the Son, Mm. of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul brings up this contrast in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, just to kind of prove this or to solidify this in our minds. In 1 Corinthians 15, of course, this is a chapter on the resurrection. And Paul uses this word image both for Adam and for the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So there's that word image. Paul is both bringing in Genesis 5 and Genesis 1 in that passage. Because the first part, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's Adam. And he's mentioning dust here for a reason, because we are made of the dust of the earth and we go back to the dust of the earth when we die. So we're after that image of Adam. But Jesus Christ is called the second Adam in this passage. He is the one who overcame. And so it says, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And like we've seen in this podcast, there's several scriptures that relate to that. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns, there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. There's going to be a judgment. And those who are found to have been faithful, those who have conformed their lives to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, to want to be in his image, he's going to change their bodies as well. And in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, as it says here, we shall be changed. The mortal will become immortal. The corruptible man will become an incorruptible man in the Lord Jesus Christ. So all of this aspect of being made in the image of God is a process. And it's a process that's going to lead us to the last days and hopefully to that glorious vision of being with the Lord Jesus Christ and, and being made like unto him. Well, it's a, a very satisfying explanation, I think, of Genesis chapter 1. But in his other sense, it is quite surprising because if we only read Genesis chapter 1 without any further explanation, we would never be left with the ideas that we have. It's, it's amazing that God knew this And even much of what we've been reading in the New Testament is for Gentiles who haven't got the Hebrew background of the Old Testament. But yet, in being able to access it as we can today, could go back and see how these ideas in the New Testament are not just new ideas. They're all going back to the Old Testament, that God's work with people in causing them to write these things was very consistent. It really could only be done by God because, I mean, they, they were so disconnected in time. You can't imagine how this could ever be done by men, even if they had the purpose of trying to write something yeah, like this. Yeah, exactly. It is it's, in uh, the inspired word of God. We give glory and honor to God by the fact that his word does open up and make it apparent and understandable to people yeah. what he means. Yeah. 
And there's a lot here. I mean, some people listening to this might be overwhelmed by all of these thoughts, but it is it is overwhelming. And I think we just have to stand in awe of the scriptures and just to really meditate upon these things and take joy in them. It's like we're just swimming in this big ocean and the currents are taking us around yeah. and we're just uh, just enjoy the ride kind of yes. thing, right? Because yes. it is so wonderful yeah. just to, to increase our knowledge and especially such an important topic as this. So thanks again, Frank, for being here. I really enjoy our conversations. Thank you. And it's, it's been it a good too. one. Bye-bye. If you'd like to share the podcast with those who are technically challenged, we've made some easy step-by-step instructions on how to listen on either Apple or Android devices. So just use this easy link on our website. It's www.essentialbiblestudies.org help. That's www.essentialbiblestudies.org help. Each episode of the podcast has some special artwork associated with it. If you'd like to see it, then you should follow the podcast on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. We post it when each new show comes out. We're giving away free Essential Bible Study Media Kits, which include stickers, bookmarks, and business cards. This is a really cool way to share the podcast, and I wouldn't blame you if you kept some of it for yourself. I have to say this is a pretty sweet package. All you have to do is send us your mailing address using our website contact form or direct message us on Instagram or Facebook and then wait anxiously at the mailbox for it to arrive. This is a Christadelphian podcast supported by the book Road Ecclesia, not too far away from the breezy shores of Lake Ontario, one of the greatest of the Great Lakes, O Canada. Until we meet again, dear friends, I pray to God that you may grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.